So without further ado, let's look to the text. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Because Jesus came to earth not to show off uh, pomp and circumstance as the son of God. In fact, when he could have come as a king, he came as a carpenter's son born in Nazareth. In fact, Jesus was born on the backside of the hood where his testament, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? If I were God and I were sending my son on a mission to earth, man, I'd make sure he was, he was, he had a, a spot in Turtle Creek. Right? Million dollar condo. Yet Jesus identifies with us in his humility and his suffering. In Isaiah chapter 53, I'm going to read it from the message paraphrase because I love the language. This is what it says concerning Jesus and his substitutionary death for us. Verse number one, Isaiah 53. It says, who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? Come on, somebody. Let's stop there and ponder that for a second. Who would imagine that the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, would come like this? If we were to write the story, it would be completely different. But God gives us a different view of the things that really matter. That the things that really matter are not external but they are internal and eternal. And what Isaiah is saying is, man, who would have thunk it? If I were to write this story, if I were to script this film, it wouldn't be like this. Verse 2 reads, the servant grew up before God. Listen to this. A scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. Notice what it says next. There was nothing attractive about him. Nothing to cause us to take a second look at him. For all of us who have bought into this chiseled chin Jesus. This handsome, beautiful Jesus. This muscular six foot three Jesus. This flawless, perfect Jesus. Jesus, the scripture says that there was nothing attractive about him. There was nothing that would even cause us to take a second look at him. All the depictions we've seen through history in churches may not be accurate. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was the kiss of betrayal of one of his disciples that identified him. You know why? Because standing next to his own disciples, Jesus was just an average Joe. And when the Roman soldiers showed up and they're like, which one is he? Which one is he? Which one? He wasn't the biggest, tallest, most handsome, best dressed preacher with the pinky ring. That's him? That's him right there? Because in coming as a man and taking upon himself, notice what the scripture says, the form of a servant. He was identifying with all of us who've ever felt like we didn't measure up. 
that we weren't good enough, that we didn't look the part, that we didn't have the right family name. There was absolutely nothing about him that would cause people to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over. A man who suffered. We're talking about Jesus now. We're talking about how to live through a bad day. A man who suffered. A man who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him and thought he was scum. But the fact is, he really took our place. In coming as a servant, it was our pains that Jesus carried. It was our disfigurements. Go ahead and scroll down, Kelly. Scroll down. All the wrong things, all the things that were wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself that God was punishing him for his own failures. Isn't that human nature? That when we experience a bad day, we blame God and we think that God is punishing us for something we did wrong. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. So he took our punishment. I want you to hear this now. There's this great exchange that is happening in Isaiah 53. He went to the cross to take our place. He became our substitute. He took the punishment that has now made us whole. And through his stripes, the bruises, the 39 stripes he took on his back, we are healed. Everything we're about to talk about now in the next few minutes we have left, I want you to put in this context. Jesus did it for me. He did it all for me. He became my substitute and took upon himself the wrath of God so that I and so that you could become friends of God. And along with that, he shows each of us how to live through a bad day. Seven words from the cross that help us navigate the worst of times. Y'all ready? Number one. Number one, if you're going to live through a bad day, consider the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you are going to survive a bad day, it begins by having the right perspective and putting the right frame around your pain. In fact, point number one is simply this. When you experience a bad day, you need to learn how to master the moment and don't let the moment master you. Jesus, I got a problem with what you're saying now because... <clears throat> You letting these guys off easy. You mean to tell me these people who picked Barabbas, an insurrectionist and a criminal, over you, an innocent man who did nothing but love and serve them, 
These same people who took a bribe from the religious leaders so that they could choose Barabbas over you. You talking about they don't know what they do? Hold up. They know exactly what they were doing. They picked the price for your betrayal. At least Judas did 30 pieces of silver. The Roman soldiers were the ones who took the cat of nine tails and whipped you and ripped chunks of flesh out your back. What do you mean they don't know what they're doing? There's a Roman soldier who nailed these nine-inch spikes into your wrist and into your feet. He was conscious when he did it. What are you talking about, Jesus? Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. As long as you choose to be the victim, you have surrendered your power to someone else. I'll say it again. As long as you sit in the victim seat, you have surrendered your power to someone else. Oh, here's what I've also learned about mastering the moment. Is that sometimes... Man's rejection is God's direction. You know why Jesus said these guys have no clue what they're doing? You know why he said that? It's because they didn't realize that by crucifying the Son of God, they were actually fulfilling the purpose of God. That while you're trying to kill me and tear me down, God is actually using your opposition to build me up. Because I'm getting better through this, I'm not getting bitter. You and I are not just human beings having an, an intermittent spiritual experience every now and then. No, no. We are spiritual beings mastering our human experience. And when trouble comes, you have to learn how to master the moment instead of allowing the moment to master you. And just in case this, you think this was only true for Jesus, consider the response of Stephen in Acts chapter 6. The first Christ follower who was martyred for the gospel. All he was, was a man who waited on widows. Yet the scripture says he was full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and a man with a good reputation. And when they arrested Stephen for preaching the gospel, Stephen preached the gospel from Moses all the way to Jesus. And the religious leaders said because of his blasphemy, he would be stoned. They pick up these stones and as they're stoning Stephen, listen to what Stephen says. Father, do not lay this to their charge. I'm talking about mastering the moment. I'm talking about confronting the people who are trying to destroy you. Because this is what I know. When you and I have a bad day, it's for one or two reasons. It's either because of people or it's because of circumstances. And if you are going to survive, not just survive a bad, bad day, but if you're going to thrive in the midst of a bad day, you've got to master the moment. Let me tell you something. In life... It's not only about what happened to you. What's more important is about what's happening in you. What happened to you happened then. 
What's happening in you is happening now. And most of us never outlive or outlast what happened. Let me, let me, let me. I'm going to figure out how to say this because this is huge. Because the label that you choose to continue to accept begins to define your future more than your past. I want you to hear this. If you made bad decisions in your past, it's one thing to when people called you what they called you back then. But if you still, 10 years later, are answering to that label, now that label is not about what happened 10 years ago. It is following you into your future. And you've got to learn how to master the moment by determining how what happened to you will continue to affect you right now. Because you and I can live in what happened to us and totally ignore what's happening in us, which is the most important part of us. Master the moment. And that's what Jesus did. He said, Father, forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. They think they're killing me. They're just getting me one step closer to glory. In fact, in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 3. The scripture says, if the rulers of this world, right, knew what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's in the Bible. And so, so you and I have to get to the point where we master the moment and where we say this thing is not going to destroy me. It's not going to make me bitter. I'm just getting better. But this is especially true when it comes to people. Because check this out now. These same people, <laughs> Jesus is Lord. These same people seven days earlier were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I can imagine while Jesus was carrying that cross down the Via Dolorosa with his back wide open, the same people that were saying Hosanna, same people saying crucify him. Same people. They weren't a different group of people. It was the exact same people. Let me tell you, relationships usually go through three phases. Three phases. Jesus went through the same thing. First phase, the honeymoon phase, where he said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? Where everything's cool, clicking on all cylinders. Oh, this is my bestie. This is my homie, my BFF, my home slice, my dude, my girl. Y'all know how y'all do, ladies, when y'all call your bestie up? Be like, girl, y'all know how y'all flip that. That's where it starts. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Over time, that blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord turns into, by what authority do you say these things? Who gave you the right to say that? Who do you think you are? Now, this is the same people who said, blessed is who comes in the name of the Lord. Next thing is, who gave you the right? Who do you think you are? And then guess what it goes into? Same people, crucify him. Kill him. Hang him up 
and nail him to that cross. Same people. And if you and I live for other people's approval, we will die from their criticism. And that's why you have to learn to master the moment. I got to move on. That's just point number one. (laughs) Glory to God. Master the moment. Don't let the moment master you. I wish I had time to talk about this, man. Ah, By mastering the moment, man, you take the power out of other people's hands. By mastering the moment, what you're doing is you're saying, I refuse to give you permission to make me feel that way. Hmm? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You're at the party. You're at the life group at Don and Evelyn Hall's house. Y'all eating some of that good food, man. And all of a sudden, here he come. And your mood immediately went from being all festive and happy. Man, I, I can't stay. I got to go. If you don't learn to master your moment. Other people will manipulate your highs and lows. (laughs) Your life will be defined by who stays and who goes. Come on, I feel like Dr. Seuss. Y'all pick up that rhyme? Master the moment. Number two. Y'all ready? These are the words of Jesus. Uh. In fact, let me read this because this is in my notes. It says, I said, through the spirit of forgiveness, Jesus retains control of the situation when it appears he is being victimized. That's how you retain control of the situation. Forgive them. Even when it seems you're being victimized. He is mastering the moment. The moment is not controlling him. Forgiving those who seek to injure us is to be unfettered by the anger or retaliation that would seek to attack itself to us <laughs> if you don't master the moment let me tell you some retaliation is going to attach itself to you and you're going to get over into an eye for an eye and in the words of Mahatma Gandhi an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind and if you don't master the moment you will be surrounded by a whole by a whole bunch of people including yourself who were blind so you know what Jesus was actually saying when he said, Father, forgive them. They know that what, that what they do. Let me, let, me, let me break it down for you and bring it over to 2016. Y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? This isn't original to me. But as soon as I say it, y'all go know exactly where it came from. What Jesus was saying was, y'all, y'all, y'all finish it for me. Y'all ready? Y'all, it's so good. What Jesus was saying in 2016, when they go low, we go high. First Lady Michelle Obama. That's what Jesus was saying. The way you master the moment when you're going through a bad day is, yeah, let him, let him, get, let him go low. You can go low if you want to. It reveals who you are. But I'm going to go high because it reveals who I am. Don't let people drag you down. 
into low living. Master the moment. Okay, <clears throat> number two. Uh, uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, he says, assuredly I say to you, come on somebody, today you will be with me in paradise. If you're going to survive a bad day, if you're going to live through a bad day, huh, help those who can't help themselves. Because trouble and affliction can be all-consuming. Where you're waking up and you're going to sleep is consumed by this one thing, the pain that you're suffering. The way that you break the cycle is by taking your mind off yourself and looking for opportunities to help people who might be going through what you're going through with fewer resources. I'm telling you about how to break the funk that you may be in today. Because Jesus could have become fixated on the pain he was going through. Jesus is on the cross with nine-inch spikes sticking through his wrist for something he didn't do, a crime he didn't commit. And he still has the fortitude and the wherewithal to bring somebody with him. Remember, he was suspended between two thieves. And in one moment, one of the thieves was a mocker and a scoffer. But one, one of the thieves saw the, the, the God in Jesus. And on the cross, and that's why I know my brother. Again, I'm not saying this because it's cliche. I know that my brother, in spite of a lifetime of bad decisions in his final moments, called upon the name of the Lord like this thief on the cross. And Jesus said, right now, everything changes. Today, you will be with me in paradise. When was the last time you stopped in the midst of your pain to help somebody? Yeah, I know, I know you're going through a tough time. I know it. But one of the ways to break the pattern and to even see God at work in your pain is to help somebody else and to be an extension of God's love and God's grace to somebody who could be going through the same thing with fewer resources than you have. That in the midst of your pain, God's answer, in the midst of your pain, you can become God's answer to someone's problem. Right? When the whole time we're looking for somebody to rescue us. Who going to rescue me? And God say, who you going to rescue? We don't want to hear that. But that's what Jesus did. That's the second way we live through a bad day. We're out of time. I'm going to give you number three. We'll pick up the rest of it next week, and then I'll wrap up. I'll wrap up with number three. The third statement Jesus makes from the cross, a fascinating statement because Jesus looks down. <laughs> Man, people, people are funny. Uh, uh, people are funny. Because Jesus been rolling. Jesus had his entourage 12 deep. 
right? Where Jesus rolled up in Jerusalem, when he rolled up in Nazareth, Capernaum, 12 deep. Took care of all them jokers. But at his most vulnerable hour, one none of them to be found. <clears throat> Let me say this. <clears throat> Change is the litmus test for commitment. Think about that for a second. The measure of true commitment in a relationship is change. Let me explain that to you. Oh boy. I'm going to go around a rabbit trail. There's a woman in the Old Testament named Naomi. She has two sons. She's also married. Her husband dies. I'm talking about how to live through a bad day. And shortly thereafter, both of her sons die. Things have changed. So she comes to her two daughters-in-law and she says, look, I'm going back to my people. She was an Israelite, but she had married a Moabite. So I'm going back to my people. Y'all go figure out what y'all going to do next because there's really no reason to stay around. Again, change is the litmus test for commitment. You don't know who's committed to you until circumstances change. Yeah, we taking selfies together. We going on vacations together. But when I can no longer do for you what you've needed me to do, Will you still be there for me? I'm talking, about, I'm talking about dealing with superficial relationships. So the first daughter-in-law, uh, Orpah, says, I'm going back to my people. The other daughter-in-law, Ruth, says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. You know why? Because change is the litmus test for commitment. Orpah was only committed as long as Naomi had a son to give her. Ruth was committed to Naomi beyond just matrimony. And so you can say all you want. That's my BFF. That's my girl. That's my boo. That's my husband. You wait until they can't take care of themselves no more. Can't get out of bed where you got to clean them and see how committed you are. See how much you really love them. See how much the 12 disciples love Jesus. That he's hanging on the cross and all of them except one are in hiding. Every single one, in fact, one of them betrayed him and by this point, he's hanging from a tree because of his guilt. The other 10 are all in hiding. Because now circumstances changed. When everybody was following Jesus, the multitudes were gathering around him. Jesus had 12 groupies. Because they loved the attention. 
Jesus was doing miracles. Jesus was that Jerusalem rock star. And now, when his life is on the line, every single one of them abandoned him except one. And that is John. In fact, John is called John the Beloved. In the depiction of the Last Supper, he's the one with his head on Jesus' bosom. In fact, when John is writing about the Last Supper, he refers to a disciple in these words, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The problem with that phrase is, it's John who's writing that gospel. (laughs) And of all the things that John could say about himself, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I got to say this, and I'm going to be out your way. You don't hear John saying a whole lot of stuff about Jesus, about his commitment to Jesus. But there's another joker named Peter, who was always talking about how committed he was to Jesus. That ain't going to happen on my watch, Jesus. I got your back. Ride or die. And while Peter was boasting and bragging about how much he loved Jesus, John was resting in how much Jesus loved him. And the one who was bragging about how much he loved Jesus was the one who denied him three times. The one who knew how much Jesus loved him was the only one who stayed by him. Be careful of people who are always talking about how much they love you. Because they may be the first ones to abandon you. Because their relationship, again, is based on what happens when times are good. The only one who stayed with Jesus was the one who knew how much Jesus loved him. You'll never see John bragging about how much he loved Jesus. Yet he was the only one who loved Jesus enough to stay at the cross and risk his life. Notice what Jesus says about how to survive a bad day. He says, woman, behold your son, John, behold your mother. Now, what was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, and the band can come. If you're going to live through a bad day, (laughs) if you're going to live through a bad day, don't transmit your trauma. Because misery loves. And while Jesus is on the cross about to die, he say, Mama, take care of John because I love him. John, make sure you take care of Mama. He's not having some pity party on the cross. Mama, come get me down. John, go get the rest of the disciples. Come get me down off this cross. Jesus is on the cross about to give up the ghost, and he has the emotional fortitude 
and the intellectual wherewithal not to transmit his trauma. Just because you suffered, doesn't mean everybody around you got to suffer too. And some of us aren't satisfied unless people get in the pit with us. There's this thing in psychology, and it's called uh, vicarious, vicarious trauma. Where if you're a therapist, if you're not careful, you start taking on all that stuff that you heard all day. This person coming with their addiction story. This person coming with an abuse story. This person coming over with this. And if you're not careful, people can transmit their trauma to you. And all of a sudden, you're carrying stuff that you weren't meant to carry. Toxic, unhealthy relationships. And on the cross, when Jesus could have Oh, yes, what? Yes, what? Jesus could have put a huge guilt trip on his mama and John. Y'all didn't protect me. Y'all didn't rescue me. And now I'm on this cross. And it's your fault. And the last memory you're going to have of me is me telling you, I'm going to speak my truth. Oh, that's a, that's a new one. That, 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 that. I'm going to speak my truth. If it's the last thing I say, mama, John. And instead of transmitting his trauma, he's taking care, making sure that mama's taken care of and John's taken care of. Because this is what I know. People who have a tendency to vomit on other people usually feel better, but the person they vomited on has to deal with the cleanup. And that if you make your ear a garbage dump, before long your heart is going to be a landfill. And all the junk you entertain has now contaminated you. How to live through a bad day. Do not transmit your trauma. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. Lord, we all have bad days.